Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Max Stoddard. Max is passionate about enabling growth and success. She loves seeing anything run more smoothly and people achieve more because of her contribution. Max has spent most of her career working for startups within established companies embarking on something new and in traditional industries in the mindset of disruption. She strives to make things better. Max has mentored many colleagues and helped others to build their careers. She has flipped existing outdating processes on their heads to streamline and add sanity to obsolete approaches. Max has helped build new processes and practices from the ground up for groundbreaking services and products. And most important, it is a special treat. Uh, Max is our chief of staff here at Tegrita. So really excited to have you, Max. We don't get many Tegridans coming into Revenue Rehab. So welcome. Your session begins now. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Excited to be here. Yes, I am super excited to share some of what we talk about internally uh, with the Revenue Rehab audience. But before we jump into that, I like to kick things off with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me, what industry buzzword would you like to banish forever? So my buzzword isn't specific only to modern marketing. I want to banish the, the words work-life balance. Oh, that one, that one, like I can definitely say I am someone who overuses that one or the more modern term work-life integration. Uh, but yeah, so why do you hate that term? I hate that term because it puts work, which is something all of us do for most of our days, most of our weeks, it, as something separate from our lives. Ah, um, the it starts to bring up those ideas of people having to decide whether they live to work or work to live. And um, I think it's a big part of our culture and the growing culture of companies who are exclusively remote, that we are banishing the need for those worlds to be distinct and completely separate. So finding balance in your life, that's amazing. But work-life balance, um, that's, I think it's too often used in industry to sell people on, like, we're not like other places <laughs> rather than... <laughs> rather than truly caring about the lives outside of work of their teams. 
Well, I love that. We are going to take work-life balance. We will put it in the box, put the lock on it, put it up on the shelf and not use that one again. So now that we have gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab? So I want to talk about what's happening in the world, what's been happening. Uh, we have all experienced, you know, I maybe I should have picked unprecedented times as our buzzword advantage. <laughs> um, but we have, we have, we have been living through um, a, a particular age of disruption in our lives all around the world events that we never expected to live through. And what does that mean for still trying to go about your daily lives and your daily business? How do you balance those things? How do you manage in hard times when there are, you know, issues of oppression showing up? What's happening in Iran right now? The George Floyd protests a couple of summers ago, how when there's disease around the world or there's a global pandemic and now everyone's awareness of diseases is different mm -hmm. so whether we're worried about a polio outbreak in new york or when the what the next covid variant will be and then we have wars happening whether it's russia or the um or even what is happening in parts of the former the soviet republic like there's all sorts of things that are impacting not just how we do business, but our access to groceries, our access to energy. Um, and it's a constant, constant struggle. So how do we do that and not pretend at our work life that nothing's, that everything's fine, everything's the same? Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially for those that are leading marketing, because not only do you have to like figure all of these things out for yourself, but then you have, you know, a team of varying sizes, depending on the company of people who are also figuring out how to live in these conditions and deal with their direct impact. Um, so I think this is something that definitely, you know, hits hard, especially given that Marketing are the people that have to, we have to get the message out there and, and you know, we have to communicate and, and focus on the positive and, you know, our competitive advantage and all these sorts of things. Um, but you've got people that are collectively not okay. Um, and I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. So before we dive into the discussion, help our audience to know exactly what you would like them to get out of our discussion. I would like us to talk about some ways to help make it okay to not be okay. I work. love that. Uh, make it okay to not be okay. Um, so let's kind of dive in. I, I think, um, you know, I'm a part of a number of different CMO and head of marketing groups. And so there's, you know, lots of different conversations that I am privy to and, one of the things that I have seen come up uh, repeatedly is being able to lead and manage and encourage when you are in the middle of the storm. Um, and so any advice for those marketing leaders who, you know, have to show up uh, and show up for their team and their organization when, you know, they're struggling to show up for 
the other areas of their life as well. So what I'm going to say probably goes counter to a lot of people's instincts and particularly for any female presenting executives and leaders, what you've been told your whole career, but that environment of it being safe to express that you're not okay to be human starts with that leader. So when you're not okay, when you're in the middle of it, the best thing you can do is be human and be transparent. If you're the first one that can say, I'm not okay. That opens up the space for your team to recognize that that's okay to say, that's okay to be. It's okay to ask for that kind of help. And it's, it's, it sounds so simple when you say it, um, but just thinking, and I do think that this does impact female presenting uh, leaders even more, but I think, you know, our male presenting counterparts experience it as well. It is just, it's just really hard. Like you are taught you have to be the leader. You have to put on a good face. You have to, you know, hold it together for the team and all these sorts of things. And so just saying like, just say that, like that just sounds like the simplest thing, but it can be so, so difficult. Um, what about when you, you know, there's lots of leaders that I know don't feel like they are in a supportive environment. So it is hard to be that one to be the vulnerable person. Yeah, it's absolutely a risk. And I think that that has to do with how you choose, how you choose to handle that, of course, has to be um, within the, within your own bounds of safety. So there are different, there's a, there's a different way of handling it. It's not, you know, maybe it's not an exec meeting or your whole team or department meeting where you put your hand up and say, I'm not okay. Maybe it's in one-on-ones with your team where you're able to build some individual trust and, and, and even acknowledge the environment that you're in. All of us have had it, have, and I know I have had experiences where you feel as though your management style doesn't suit the other leaders or the overall management of your company or the culture of your company. That doesn't stop us from building human connection with our team and doing our best to insulate and lead our team how we want to. So some of that takes recognizing where you have your autonomy to make decisions and insulate your team and Sometimes that's also deciding where you're willing to take risks, both for your own sake and for the sake of your team. Yeah, go ahead. This, the other thing I wanted to like, want, for marketers, this is also a big deal because we're not just talking to each other at work. We are also communicating with our potential customers, our existing clients, other businesses, and the world at large. If we are desensitized or ignoring those things in our own interactions day to day, it's extremely difficult for us to be sensitive to the messages going out to the world. So in places where you need to make a case for, I manage this way because it makes us better, that's one of the ways that you can also help start to shift the culture 
at a company that doesn't otherwise tolerate it. Yeah, and I think you hit on a, a good point and where I was actually going to shift next is that connection between, you know, the messages that we put out there and what we know everyone is is going through. And, you know, I've experienced this, I mean, so many times in my career, but even if I just think about in the last two years, you know, when the war uh, in Ukraine started, there was, you know, there were a lot of people on, you know, both sides that were really impacted, whether it was directly or indirectly, you know, with COVID, there were so many people that were losing people and, you know, going through some major sicknesses and financial troubles because of job loss. And so it's like, not only is our team going through, but our ICP is also living the same, you know, experiences that we are. And I think that is a place where a lot of people were really conflicted. And it was like the human in me says, I need to stop communicating um, or, you know, really only communicate where it's like necessary or expected. But then the, the marketer with revenue goals and, you know, objectives and KPIs that need to be hit, it's also like, but it's also putting, you know, this at risk. And we know, you know, turnover in marketing is, uh, especially at the C-level, is much higher than, you know, counterparts and, and all the statistics. So it, it becomes a, a bit of an internal conflict around what you know is right, you know, as a person. And so how do you balance that? How do you give direction to your team on what do we do here? in terms of the actual marketing strategy or yeah. yeah. So the things, the thing that comes to mind is I almost want to think, I'm, I know marketing and advertising, they're not the same, but I almost makes me want to think of that Ikea ad ages ago where they, there was the lamp and you get started feeling, it's just the, the Swedish accented um, uh, narrator talking like with the lamp, the old lamp gets put out on the curb and it starts to rain. And you think that it feels like the lamp is sad. <laughs> everyone's like relief and even the narrator comes in and says why are you feeling sad for the lamp it's just a lamp <laughs> right like there's something about that where those kinds of ads and that kind of messaging like we are emotional beings and so infusing what is happening in the world and how it feels into what we do rather than trying to ignore it is going to resonate with your audiences because we're all experiencing it. So that's a, that was a long way of saying how, but I think that there's sometimes an assumption within us that the professional expressions we have and our messaging, how we represent our brand somehow needs to be separate from the realities of life. Yeah, and I think the sort of the counterpoint that I've heard from other people is that in trying to infuse that realness into the marketing message, that it often comes across as performative or opportunistic. And, you know, it's like that's also like it's almost worse when you come across as trying to like capitalize on something negative that's happening 
So how do you strike that balance? Like that's something that I know I, as a marketer, have always struggled with because I don't want to put it out there. And it just seems like, like, oh, I felt like this was a good message because this is what everybody's feeling. It's like, well, no, that's actually what I was feeling. I think it comes down to authenticity and intent. I think you've, you've had conversations with people where you get the sense that how they meant something, like Pride Month and, you know, I'm looking at you, Walmart, on Juneteenth um, here on some of these things. <laughs> right? So um, the it's clear, it is absolutely clear to every person when those efforts are exclusively an effort to capitalize and monetize on something. So when I say authenticity and intent, if you're if you are doing it, if you are including it, if you are messaging it to only make a profit, to only tick a box, then you're still not doing what we talked about. What you're doing is leveraging emotions and current events for to your own gains. You're not internalizing and then including what the context of what's happening in your messages that of course are intended to make money, increase brand awareness. But you know, that when I, I, you know, I already talked about Walmart, it's like, what did that do for Walmart's brand? Not a lot of good things. No. And sadly it was not at all a surprise for their brand because they have a lot of consistencies, but I won't go on a Walmart rant. Uh <laughs> no, not a Walmart rant today, but, but the point there is that like nobody, no, no reasonable person expects that marketing is not intended to positively impact the business that it is on behalf of. Um, but there is still the ability to be authentic in that messaging. Uh, no, that is that is that is a part of the beliefs of the company. That is very true. Um, I think the other thing that I want to get your take on, which, you know, based on some economic changes and things a lot of companies are experiencing is having to deal with layoffs, um, you know, and letting their people go or having to, you know, help to comfort those that are still there. Um, in some cases, you know, with mergers and acquisitions, there's a lot of anxiety when, you know, the company financials are not performing well. Like there's all these different things that are happening in the business that are less about, you know, direct impact or less about the individuals, but managers have to manage through all of that change um, and, you know, make sure that their people are okay while still attempting to, you know, again, meet objectives and get business done. So for those leaders who are going through those tough times within their organizations, what advice do you have for them on being able to, you know, manage through a crisis or, or through, you know, really challenging times? It's a great question. And it's, it's really hard to answer because I, you know, I think even five years ago, my answer would have been different. Um, I do think that there's a, there's sort of a split in how you talk about it, depending on whether you are part of those decisions or whether you are having to manage decisions made by others. So 
when let's start with i think the slightly easier one is when you are having to manage decisions maybe, maybe neither is easier this sucks regardless no matter what this is not a this is not a fun thing it is not easy to manage um, but when you are having to manage a smaller department because of you know something the shareholders or the board decided or you're having to restructure because of a change in direction in the company or there's layoffs. Managing when it's not your decision, um, the best thing that you can do is share as much information as you have available with your team. The And acknowledge how you feel about it as far as you're able. Obviously, we know as as managers and leaders, you can't say everything you think that's part of that's part of doing the job. <laughs> to save that for, you know, girls night out or <laughs> family <laughs> dinner, um, or your therapist, you know, whichever whatever works. Um, but I do think that um, acknowledging things like I know this is scary, we don't know what's going to happen. It's I, I, I've it's stressful for me too, to, and so I'm going to do what I can to support you in trying to get the same amount done with fewer people. Um, the other thing that you can do, well, so what that does that like that again, this is very similar to my earlier advice, right? Is like you lead from what from that human point, that human place of, uh, in my opinion, the worst thing you can do is that opposite of like it's business as usual, like we're just going to get it done. I, I don't know anyone who responds well to that, but um, the the reason I think that that helps is that there is an openness. It's easier to open the door for people to say it's not working. It's I like I am really scared. Is there anything I can do? Um, do we have any idea what's coming? Like it does start to open a dialogue that allows your team to feel like they're not going to be blindsided, that they're, they might be able to get some support somewhere. The thing we have to worry about most there often is attrition and burnout. When you have been part of the decision, I feel that can be a little tougher because most of the time we can't, say why those decisions were made if it is on an individual personnel level. And if it's on a bigger scale, we might be able to say, but not down to like why we made certain specific choices we made. When you can say why, whenever you can give a why, share it. So, you know, we talk at Tegrita a lot about transparency and integrity. Transparency as a leader is more like being a good parent. Like you don't tell your five-year-old when finances are tight because they can't understand it and they can't do anything about it. But you might help them try to understand why we can't have some of the special treats this time, this month, right. or make something fun to do instead that doesn't have this. Like you find ways to help manage their um, the overall environment without the expenses. And so some of that in transparency is also protecting people. Um, yeah, I, Brandy, how is that? <laughs> no, it, it definitely makes sense. And you, you know, you hit on uh, some really key things. And I think for me as a leader, the 
like not being able to like just really lay it all out is probably the thing that I always struggle with because I know that I am a person that information is what, you know, helps me be calm. Uh, you know, and it takes away my anxiety when I at least have all the information. And so not that everyone's like that, but it's like, I always wish. And so being able to, I like that example about the five-year-old of, although you can't or shouldn't, you know, get to that level, that there are ways to really mitigate the feelings of what they're going to be feeling without the actual information. Yeah. And it's not that our teams are kids, obviously. The dip, the point of using the five-year-old is if it's not going to help them, right? If it's not going to do anything except scare them or give them information that isn't meaningful to them, it does isn't, isn't an impactful on their daily life, then we're giving the information for us, not for them. We're giving the information because it feels good for us to tell them feels up good for us to share that that burden or but if there's nothing they can do with the information that to me is the line yeah and this has come up several times in different contexts um i mean even something as simple as you know talking about what goes on a slide and it's like well why is it there what do we want the person to take away like what is the benefit to them and, you know, we talk about that always when we talk about our marketing message, like, how is this for the client? Um, and this is what I'm hearing is this is just another reflection of that in really applying that discernment of what information do they need that I can share? You know, why am I telling them this? Um, you know, how are they going to benefit from it? How are how is it going to impact them um, to be able to lead through that change? Yeah, absolutely. And how can I make their lives easier in a difficult time? And I think something else that it makes me think about in managing the people through change is, you know, where, whether you're in control of the decision or not, but really figuring out, you know, using your example of, you know, how do we like do something creative that doesn't require, you know, the expenses or, or whatever, like applying that same thought process of how do we like sort of soften the blow or, or help the team in a way that is meaningful for them. So like if you are a leader and you just had your resources cut, you know, you had layoffs, it's like, how do you adjust the focus for the year? You know, because so many times what happens and what leads to the burnout is, you know, we had 10 marketers and now we have six, but we need you six to do the job of 10. And, you know, that's how people spin their wheels. They get burnt out, burnt out, and then it leads to attrition. So it's even as a leader thinking about, okay, I had 10, now I have six. What does that really look like? How do we change our plans in a way that allows us to hit our objectives without, you know, like wearing our resources down? Or, you know, how do I you know, give them more flexibility? Like, you know, if we're in the office, tell everybody to work from home so they can work their commute hours. And I'm not saying that I would tell people to do that, but uh, just, you know, just really thinking outside of the box of how do we get what we need to get accomplished? Because the business objectives is what we're always thinking about as leaders, but also being good leaders in understanding that 
these are people, we value the people, so we have to also take care of the people. I think this circles back to my for my early point as well, is that when you're, if you've been, been even moderately successful in creating an environment where people feel it's okay to express not being okay, and that includes worried, scared, unsure, all of those things that come up, you have an opportunity to listen to your team. What is it that they're worried about? What are the things, in what direction do you need to adjust and throttle? So the image that come, kept coming back to, to me while you were talking was the idea of rowing a boat with 10 people and you take four people away, you can't get to the same destination at the same speed. It's just not gonna happen. But so, but what's the adjustment? Do you re-space? Do you use different oars? Do you change your destination? Do you just change the timeline for getting there? What does that look like? And that, you know, how we love to hit a metaphor over the head when we're, when we're doing our own executive meetings. But um, we, this one, like it, it is a good, it's a good image for what we're talking about. If I have never been more stressed in my career than when I've, I've received news of change, often a do more with less. And there's no acknowledgement from the people giving the message that that's hard. <laughs> that maybe isn't possible. That requires more than just working more hours. Yeah. Even if they're willing to work those hours. <laughs> Which is not um, <laughs> Yeah. And I think one of the other things I'm hearing from you is also around that feedback loop of, you know, I think that is one place where I see a lot of leaders kind of going in the wrong direction is making assumptions that they understand or that they know what their people are thinking or feeling or concerned about, like actually opening the door, you know, figuratively to be able to gather that feedback, to hear the questions, as you said, around what are people actually concerned about? Because you know, I've experienced times where it's like, okay, this change is coming. Let me think through all, you know, all the things that I think people might be worried about so I can address them. And then in the end, you talk to someone and they're like super stressed out about this, like one thing. And it's like, I never would have thought of that. But if you don't open that door, you may feel like you're, you know, really like, hidden on all cylinders, so to speak, in managing the change, but you really haven't even addressed the the nuance that is actually really important to that person. Um, so talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. So in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So Max, if you could summarize your key takeaways and give our listeners that one thing, what is the one action item that you want them to do coming out of this conversation to help them manage through the tough times better? So I would sum up what we've talked about that you can't ignore what's happening outside of work if you want to be successful at work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also say another way of stating the leading 
in the, the culture leading by example of it's okay to not be okay is that vulnerability, expressing your own vulnerability in some way invites others to feel safe doing the same. And the one thing I would ask everyone to do is use one I am feeling sentence in every meeting. Mm. That one, uh, oh, like that's a good one thing because it is so counterintuitive. I know in, you know, if I think even back to like leadership training I had in high school, which at this point feels like an eternity ago, like it was, you leave your feelings out of the workplace, focus on facts, you know, that like you leave your feelings at home. Um, and so what you're telling us now is bring those feelings, not only to work, but to every meeting. Are you, are your feelings actually separate from you at work? No, not at all, but. So it's impossible advice <laughs> to <laughs> leave your feelings at home. Um, and I don't know about you, but whenever you're feeling strong things and you're trying not to express them, you're much more likely to actually lash out from the feeling. This is true. Um, so I am saying absolutely break that. And I think I kind of started saying this in the beginning. <laughs> it's uh, like <laughs> not what you've always been told to do because I don't believe that that brings the whole person to work. And the whole person is actually what makes us great. Um, I love that. So we all have our one thing. So over the next week, whenever you are listening to this, over the next week, every meeting, try to give an I'm feeling statement. Um, and I'd love for anyone who tries it to come back and let me know on social. Uh, you can at Revenue Rehab on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then I'm Brandy Starr on LinkedIn. Uh, let me know how that how that makes you feel. So tell me how you feel about sharing your I feel. Um, because yeah, I, I really, I, I love breaking old leadership principles because I do think some of the leadership books that were written decades and decades ago that people, you know, still swear by are, you know, so outdated and antiquated and, you know, don't really take into account the fact that we're humans. Um, but that's a whole different discussion for a whole different day. <laughs> yes, it is a whole discussion how that those old principles contribute to lack of diversity and feelings of belonging and inclusion at work. So that's a whole other discussion. But it's important. <laughs> I wanted to add that a lot of what we talked about here changes the environment from one of um, monoculture to inclusion. Uh, which, you know, it is talk a lot about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging here. I mean, especially as a Black woman, it's always been a key factor in my career. And it is a lot of these really subtle things that, you know, don't have the clear, you know, so many people focus on like the initiatives for DEI and B. And it's not always about the big initiatives. It is about these subtle things of being able to lead in a really human way allows your team, you know, of all backgrounds to 
bring their whole self to work. Exactly. Um, awesome. Well, Max, I have so enjoyed our discussion today. And uh, but that is our time for today. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. We have a lot of these discussions just internally. So really happy that you were able to bring uh, some of this great insight to our revenue rehab audience. Uh, so thanks again. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Awesome. And thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Max. I can't believe we're already at the end. See you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.